bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. I tell you what, that passage right there kind of sums up the program. The title of our program was His Life for Mine, just like the song. And exactly, that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 through 6 is talking about. We uh, noted five different scenes in our program tonight. Five scenes. In the first scene, we met with a widow. And that particular widow, of course, had put all that she had into the, into the coffer. She had given everything she had. It wasn't a whole lot in the terms, in, in the world's terms, but it was a whole lot to the Lord Jesus Christ. She gave of her necessity or out of necessity. She didn't just have it in the bank account. It wasn't something that she could afford, but she gave it out of love and because she desired to and, lo- and wanted to. She meets with a young lady who ultimately gives her a free dinner, so to speak, or some bread and some, something to drink. She says, what's that going to cost me? And she says, well, why would you insult me so? And yet she was struggling with the point that Jesus could give her something for nothing. The fact is tonight is that Jesus gives, gives us our salvation and it costs us nothing. It cost him a great deal. The Bible tells us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, I must say that our meager attempts to please the Master uh, really fall miserably short. We cannot find favor with God because of our doings or our efforts. We find it because of the grace, the mercy of God Himself. We're grateful that He gives us such a gift. In the second scene, we met with Joseph of Arimathea and another religious leader, And uh, that religious leader ultimately tells Joseph, he says, I'll not bow to him now, not ever. Wow. His determination would be viewed admirable if it were not so misdirected. His determination will prove as effective in remaining upright in the presence of Christ as a sandcastle wall will hold back the tide. I remember when we were in Atlantic Beach... My family and I, it was very crowded there at the beach, and throughout the week, it was just, uh, we had gotten there, we weren't really staying there, we just happened to show up, we're traveling around through the area, and we uh, loved to go to the beach. The problem was, it was just too crowded, so we couldn't go. And so at night, we decided to go on down there in the evening, and we found this uh, hotel area, and back behind the hotel, there was really nothing, we were able to get down there, I think it was about 6.37 in the evening or so, maybe a little later by the time we got there. We uh, slipped on back there, and it was very uh, secluded. We enjoyed it, had a great time there. And uh, we decided to build a sandcastle. And I remember uh, that the beach was extremely wide. It was one of the largest beaches I had seen. And uh, there we, we built that sandcastle there. I always loved building sandcastles. Of course, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of not, I'm not great at it, but, you know, I, I've enjoyed doing it through the years. The kids always have something we can do with the kids, if you know what I mean. And so I'll get down there, and we get all those shovels, and we get the big, uh, get the uh, buckets, and we start to uh, create a mode, and we build some uh, castles, and we put some mounds in there, and we try to decorate it up the best we can, as well as I know how to do. And man, I mean, we re- we created a, a very large sandcastle that evening. And uh, as it drew nigh to evening, and the sun started setting in the west, the the uh, um, tide started coming in. And as the tide started coming in, it drew closer and closer and closer to the walls and to the moat of our sandcastle. 
It just, as time went on, those waves started crashing up against those walls. And as large as those walls were, and as deep as that moat was, it wasn't long before the ocean had overcome the sandcastle. That particular religious leader has about as much opportunity or chance to not bow to Jesus as my sandcastle had withstanding the ocean. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Every one of us in this room. It doesn't matter if you was an atheist tonight. <clears throat> it doesn't matter if you were... Um, uh, you know, Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Baptist or it doesn't even matter if you're Muslim or Buddhist. Doesn't matter. Every knee shall bow. Every knee. The key is to bow it before you have to. Do it because you want to, not because you'll have to. In the third scene, we met a woman with an issue of blood. She recognized herself as being unclean. However, the other that was with her simply said, I keep the law. I keep it. Sadly, there are a number of folks living in our society today that have redefined what sin is. Matter of fact, they've created their own dictionary of terms and phrases ensuring that they measure up in almost every category. See, if I lower the standard enough, I can consider myself within the acceptable range. And I'm convinced that that's exactly what our society is doing. We continue to lower the standard, therefore everybody measures up. When I was attending adult vocational school right out of high school, I decided to take welding. And uh, you learned uh, different Types of welding. You, you, you did vertical, you did horizontal, you did um, flat welding. You, you, we even eventually did some pipe welding, things like that. Now, if you asked me to do all of that now, I would tell you I've probably forgotten everything. I mean, it's been at least six years ago. <coughs> okay. But I remember that uh, what we'd do is we'd take two pieces of metal, we'd, the edges would be beveled, there was... A quarter inch, uh, it was three-eighths inches, what it really was. It was three-eighths inch metal. And uh, you'd bevel the, the two sides. You'd place them about uh, no more than about an eighth or eh, a little over an eighth of an inch apart. And there you'd begin your first bead. And you'd ultimately build uh, that weld up so that it covered the entire uh, bevel. And then what they would do is you'd sand that thing off so it was smooth and be created one piece of metal. Then they'd take that piece of metal and they'd put it in vice and they'd, they'd begin to bend it right there where it was welded. And they would begin to observe it and they'd look at it and they'd take a... I remember him, uh, the, the, the teacher and the guide and the one who would examine it would take a magnifying glass and look for stress cracks. You were permitted like at the time I believe it was three stress cracks and they couldn't exceed a certain length. And so after they'd bent it and they took it and they'd look at it and they'd observe it and, and they would judge it, after it'd come back, if you had less than three or no more than three, I should say, certain length, you passed flat welding or horizontal or vertical welding. You became state certified. 
Now, if you did pipe welding, you had to have it x-rayed. They would take it and put it through an x-ray machine and ensure that there were no internal stress fractures. The standard was, the standard was the same for everybody. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. It didn't matter if you were young or old. It didn't matter. Everyone had the same standard. Can you imagine if for some reason everyone could determine whether or not their weld was strong and sufficient? Can you imagine that? I mean, what would happen to the industry if I could make up my own standard and say, well, okay, so there's a few extra stress cracks there, but they're really not that big a deal, and I think I passed the test. I'm a good enough welder. I believe I should be state certified. You go to the job interview and the employer says, well, are you state certified in, in flat welding or in horizontal or vertical or pipe? Oh, of course, I'm state certified. But I come up with my own standard. And in the end, if everyone did that, how would it turn out in the long run? It'd be a mess, wouldn't it? Well, that's what we have today in America. That's what we have in our local churches. Preachers get up and bellow the Word of God and proclaim the truth, and people say, I don't like that standard. It's a little bit too strict. I have another idea of what Christianity really ought to be. I think I know just as well as he does, or she does, or they do. I I think I'm just as qualified, and I'm as much a child of God as they are, and God speaks to me, and God tells me things too, and I just don't believe that that standard is correct for me or my family. I think that mine is good enough. I wonder why we're in such a mess in Christianity. When we've abandoned God's standard. For our very own. The woman with the issue of blood said, No, I'm unclean. I know I'm unclean. But Jesus, if only He would touch me. If only I could touch Him. She understood her need and the standard. See, God's Word is truly the standard by which we'll be judged and are judged. And the fact is today is that if we fall short of one of those laws that God has laid out, then we're guilty of all. In James 2.10 it says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Then we run to the fourth scene. There we have a rich young ruler in our program, and he's told, It's not your way. It must be His way. We've kind of covered that, haven't we? Isn't it funny how everything seems to keep coming back to Him? The Bible clearly says that Christ liberates a man or a woman. And yet man still views God as a tyrant that imposes His will on others and seeks to fit every person to His limited and restrictive mold. But man's wrong. This rich young ruler, he was struggling with God. Struggling with the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when it came to his wealth. And I'm a young man and I've got all my life ahead of me. If I give all of my money to the poor, then I'll be poor. That's pretty good logic, really. 
I think maybe you and I have thought that a few times. If I get all my money to the building fund, if I give it all up for missions, if I give it, then I won't have any to give. You ever been there? If you've never been there, then you're probably not obedient. Because you haven't given it all yet. There's no way that you can know how God supplies until you've been there. You're still living in the flesh. Operating in your flesh. Based on what you feel you can afford. You know why the rich young ruler would miss heaven? Because he was trying to figure out what he could afford to give up. God never asks you to give up something. He asks you to give up all for Him. I think about Cain who offered wheat instead of blood. The builders of Babel who sought to reach heaven without Jesus. Or maybe the inhabitants of the land of Israel during the times of the judges in which the Bible says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Again, he feared losing his wealth for a lifetime over losing his soul for eternity. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The rich young ruler came face to face with a decision. Is my soul worth my money? Or would I rather have the money or would I rather have my soul? And that particular day, he walked away with his money. And the devil walked away with his soul. And finally, we come to the fifth scene. The final scene. Here we have Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Do you like Nicodemus' passion? Joseph of Arimathea up here, they just kind of exploded on stage, didn't they? I thought that was an amazing scene. And ultimately, in the end, Joseph of Arimathea says, Our Savior will live, and we will live with Him for eternity. What if they kill Him? Our Savior will live. We will live with Him for eternity. Let me ask you, do you believe that? I didn't ask, did you say a prayer and invite Christ in your life? Or think you did? I say, you really believe it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. Wherefore? Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. 
Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joseph, Nicodemus, you already know this, but can I tell you, he's alive. Joseph, Nicodemus, can I tell you that he rose again the third day, just like he said. For he is not here. For he's risen as he said. John 14, 1 through 3. A great promise to you and I. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Today is Easter. I wonder how many years we've been celebrating Easter. Jesus died in, 2000, in, in A.D. 30, 30, we'll say, or 31. Say he was born in B.C. 2. Some say B.C. 6. Say it was 30. Let's see, that puts us at almost 2,000 years. 2,000 Easter's. Do you know what's the same about all those Easter's? Every single one of them celebrate the same thing. The resurrection. The resurrection. Jesus lives today. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. When we sing the songs. Do you believe it? He's coming back too. He died and he was buried and he rose again. And there that 40 days later he ascended up to heaven in a cloud. He says, guess what, fellas? I'm coming back. The same way you've seen me leave, the same way I'm coming back, I'll be back again. Whether it's in the book of Corinthians or over in Thessalonians, the book of Revelation, or even here in John, we are reminded, forever reminded, that our Jesus lives and He's coming back. He gave His life for mine. Because He did, I'll live forever. He gave His life for yours. And you can live forever too. I hope that you know for sure heaven's your home. I mean, there's a good chance that you do tonight. But there's no guarantees. If even one person doesn't know that Jesus Christ died for them, suffered for them, rose for them, that He'll save them, it'll all be worth it. 
All the hours of preparation. All the hours of practice. All the time memorizing lines and learning songs. All the time it took for Karen to write the program and play. It'll all be worth it. And tonight, if you're encouraged as a believer to remember and be reminded that He's coming back. He rose, as He said, and He said He'd return. He will. Jesus is just as real today as He was when He walked those dusty trails of Galilee. He may not be able to reach around his arm, his waist and pull him in tight. But he's just as alive and just as real. When he splits that eastern sky, every one of us will wish to God that we did just a little bit more. Every one of us. The devil wants us to believe that he's not real. But he is. And he's coming back. Do you know he's coming? And when he does split that eastern sky, are you going with him? You say, I don't know for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't have that settled. I can't say that 100% for sure. Well, I want you to know you can tonight. I want you to know that whether you're a publican or whether you're a Pharisee, whether you're just a commoner, we're all just people, aren't we? Jesus died for us. He loves everybody the same. And tonight you can be saved, no matter how wicked, vile, and wretched you are. I want you to know that He can wash you clean tonight. Father, we come to You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and that He came and lived and died. The Lord rose again. What a powerful program. What a message. His life for mine. Lord, there's not a person here that you didn't die for. Whether or not they'll accept your sacrifice, allow you to apply your blood to their life, to wash their sin away is up to them. But Lord, you did indeed die for them. Father, if there be any without Christ, may they be saved tonight. May they not delay or wait. Lord, may they settle it. Lord, as believers, may we be convinced of your reality and know in our heart that you, even as you said you'd rise and did, you also said you'd come back and will. Father, may we not doubt that or lose sight of it. With every head bowed, let me ask quickly. I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. That's me. I've got it settled. Well, I hope you could raise your hand there. But tonight, maybe you can't raise your hand. Tonight, you can't say emphatically, without doubt, that I'm on my way to heaven if I would die. If I close my eyes today in death, I don't know for sure I'd open them in the presence of Christ. You can't say that for sure. Would you let me pray for you tonight? Could you simply let me pray by raising your hand real quick in just a moment and saying, that's me. Would you pray for me, preacher? I don't have it settled. I don't know that for sure. I'd be honored to do that. I won't embarrass you. I won't come down there and get you or nothing like that. I just want to pray for you. Preacher, that's me. I don't know that for sure. I haven't settled that issue in my life. 
I can't honestly say that if I died, I'd go to heaven with an uplifted hand. I'm telling you that. Would you pray for me, preacher? In all honesty, I'm being honest with you, preacher. I don't have it settled. Pray for me. Anybody like that, can I pray for you? I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure. May I pray for you? Quickly, put it up. Put it down. Let me see your hand quickly. Let me pray for you. Let me do that. I'm a child of God, Pastor. Are you convinced he's coming back? He is. Are you ready when he does? Do you live each day, every single day, do you live it remembering that he gave his life for yours? Will you give your life for him? That's all he wants. Say, all? That's all. All is all he wants. He's worthy of it. Father, bless now your people. Speak to our hearts in these moments of invitation. May you be glorified in it all. And Lord, if there was one that could not raise hands, simply because they were a little concerned, nervous, or maybe embarrassed, may you give them the courage, Father, in just a moment as the music plays, to step out into the closest aisle. Come forward and see me, that I may allow someone to take a Bible, a man if they're a man, a woman if they're a woman, show them the Word of God and how they can settle this issue for good, for all, for eternity. Know that Christ is their Lord, their Savior, their God, their Father. And be with every believer. May we, Father, once again confirm in our heart and our lives that, Father, you are alive and well and that you are real, that you're coming back for us. And may we, Father, give our life for you as you gave your life for us. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. As the music plays, let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Won't you come tonight? The altars are open. His life for mine. He gave His life for you. Now the real issue is, will you give your life for Him? If I asked you today, do you know a Christian? Do you know a believer who, in your mind's eye, truly knows Christ? You wouldn't doubt that they're saved, but... You wouldn't be able to say that you believe they've given their life for Him. Like He gave His life for them. Maybe you need to pray for that person. That they would ultimately see that truth. That they need to reciprocate that gift. By the same token, let us not be so prideful and arrogant to think that maybe at times we're not that person. Taking for granted what Christ has done for us. It's so easy to take that for granted. I mean, who sets the standard anyway? Do I? Do I determine what is a faithful Christian? If people do what I do, does that make them faithful? I think what we find is that God sets the standards in His Word. He determines that. He guides us. He directs us. He leads us. What if God wanted me on the mission field and today I stood before you as pastor of Community Baptist Temple? Would I be obedient? Oh, you would, uh, you would assume I was because I'm standing behind a pulpit. Because I'm proclaiming the Word of God. Because I'm pastoring a church. 
but I could be seriously out of the will of God. And only I would know that. Are you where you belong with the Lord? Only you know the answer to that question. There are some things that are pretty basic, pretty simple, and pretty obvious. But God is a personal God, and He deals with us as individuals. Is there anything that you should be doing that you're not? Is there anyone you should be sharing with that you're not? Well, we certainly appreciate you coming on out tonight. We're going to go ahead and dismiss in just a moment. Before we do, I'm going to ask the cast to come on out. I ask all of them, as well as the uh, singers, come on out, everybody in the back. Here they come, here they come. Great job, ladies and gentlemen. on out there. That's right. Just squeeze on by. Everybody tries to hide in the back. All right. We're so glad that uh, we just want to tell each and every one of you we appreciate what you've done, all the work that you put forth, and boy, it turned out so well. What a blessing it is to each and every one that's able to participate and be a part of it. And then uh, even more so, I think, for those that get a chance to observe it and just enjoy it. Again, thank you so much. And again, we, uh, we just want to thank Karen as well. Karen is a... Uh, an amazing person. Come on up, Karen. You probably know already, but if you don't, Karen writes all of our plays at this point. Um, and, and again, I think they get better all the time. And uh, we're just so thrilled. As well, she's also... Uh, I. I don't know, is it correct, an authoress, or is it an author these days? Because I don't think they make the distinction between men and women anymore. I think she's a sir. But uh, remember how I was telling, some of you know what I'm talking about. I was, but anyway, okay, forget it, okay, if you never, you want, it's, I sh- you're not supposed to do inside jokes when you're a pastor, because then people feel like they're left out. I don't have time to explain what that was about. But anyway, I know, I messed up. But anyway, 
she writes books as well. She has another book out in the bookstore. We'll tell you a little bit more about it um, next week as we get into it. But her book is in the bookstore, her third book of the series and final book of that series as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. That's choking me up. But anyway, three books, all right? Three just in that series alone, all right? Now she has two other books that are going to be coming out, a children's book that I'm excited about, looking forward to. Some of you will be able to read it, you teenagers. And um, we're very excited about that, as well as uh, another book as well that will be a fiction work, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we're looking forward to that. I'll tell you a little bit more about those again next week. But anyway, if you're interested, I'm telling you, you, you won't regret it. She does a tremendous job writing, just like she does with these programs. And we're just uh, thankful to the Lord that he brought her to us. And she has uh, willingly yielded her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, again, let's give them one more hand as they make their way to the back tonight. Thank you. Yeah, right. <laughs> Great job, guys. Way to go. All right. Well, we're going to dismiss in a moment. We do want to thank uh, 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 Donna and Donna Kafka. She's responsible for all this stuff up here, and we appreciate her. Yes, Donna. Very good, Donna. All right. And, of course, we can't forget about Mr. Harris back there in the sound booth. Way to go, Mr. Harris.